Hey, we're in the uh, continuing through the series of this study through the book of Ecclesiastes. I realize that this is that times has not been an easy book to understand. At times, it seems messy and confusing, but hopefully, you've understood that life can be messy and confusing. And I think the important it is an important message for us today in the book of Ecclesiastes that, and I'd sum up the preacher or the teacher's message is that. Uh, don't fool yourself. Uh, you are going to die someday. And everything that you've been pursuing, your wealth, your wisdom, your possessions, whatever you think that's been important, don't waste your life. Because someday it ends. And you don't want to live a life that was hevel, that was meaningless, that was vain. And so again, thankful for the opportunity to open uh, God's Word. We're going to be in uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 8. And we're going to go through the, uh, at least the section that was assigned to me goes through the end of uh, chapter 6. But we're not going to attempt to look at this entire section at all. As I tried to work on the sermon, um, I decided to center on just a few of the opening verses in this section of uh, dealing with the realities of wealth, uh, beginning at verse 8. So at this time, i uh, invite you to stand. I'll read part of this uh, portion of scripture. The words also will be up on the screen. I'm going to be using this morning uh, the Christian Standard Bible as the text that I'm going to be using. But first, uh, invite again the Holy Spirit to be present with us today. Uh, Holy Spirit, we do uh, give you permission to work. We recognize that we're opening up uh, our Father's Word, your Word to us, and that without your work, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. We do not have the ability to understand and most importantly, put it into practice into our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we want to be not only hearers, but doers. And to do that, we need your work. And so we give you permission to work today. And it's the name of our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Beginning at verse 8... In chapter 5 of the uh, book of Ecclesiastes, uh, and I will read through verse 10, and then we'll jump over to uh, verse 18 through the rest of the chapter. Uh, The teacher or preacher says, If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation, because one official protects another official, and higher officials protect them, And the profit from the land is taken by all, and the king is served by the field. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This, too, is futile. Then jumping to verse 18, here's what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him because that is his reward. Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, and rejoice in his labor, for this is a gift of God. For he does not often consider the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. And then going to chapter 4, verse 1, Again, I observed all the acts of the oppression being done under the sun, Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them, and they have no one to comfort them. 
This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. On the screen, you put up the next slide, uh, see a painting done in the 15th century by Quentin Matsey, uh, an artist. On the left, you see a money changer looking at his money, his jewels, his wealth, assessing their value. On the right, we see his wife. For her is a book. It's a devotional book or the Bible. But she's not looking at the book. She's not looking at her devotional book. Her eyes are off to the side looking at the wealth. In other words, the wealth that her husband had had been distracting her of her time with God. And the artist wanted to show how easily money, for wealth, for possessions, grab our attention and take our eyes off the things of God's Word. Uh, Richard Foster, in his book Money, Sex, and Power, says that wealth is a rival God. It competes with our ability to worship the true God. He says that it's unmistakably clear in the teachings of God's Word that money is not this impersonal medium of exchange. Money is not something that is morally neutral, a resource to be used in either good or bad ways, solely depending on our attitude towards it. No, he says money is a power that seeks to dominate us. He goes on to say that money is this powerful drug, and if it's used in the wrong way, it can destroy us as few other things can. The pursuit of wealth and possessions can cause us to ignore God, undervalue family, walk over people, use them, act unethically, and engage in a host of other destructive actions. And so if money and wealth and possessions is not something that is neutral, but rather if it is an idol that is competing with our uh, God for our attention, then we cannot be passive regarding our posture towards wealth and possessions. We must recognize that there is danger in wealth and act accordingly. In today's passage, the preacher returns to a very common theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes regarding wealth and oppression. And as he observes how people are living under the sun, pursuing wealth, oppressing others, and in the end, they have this life of hevel, life that is vain, a life that is without meaning. So he begins this section on dealing with wealth with these words in verses 8 and 9. If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province... Don't be astonished at the situation, because one official protects another official, and higher officials protect them, and the profit of the land is taken by all, and the king is served by the field. The preacher wants us to know that economic injustice and impression is real. He says, don't be surprised at it. And I would add, don't deny the reality of oppression. There is injustice in this world. And like Richard Foster says, it is the pursuit of wealth that can lead us to a whole series of unethical actions. Verse 8 here in this passage, the, uh, the preacher says that one official protects another official and justice is perverted. Saying that it happens in the system that everybody gets in on the game. One person is looking out for the next person who's above him. Everybody's Uh, gaining something, and in the end, the king, the person on the top, wins. 
But there are people in that whole system without power that are left out and oppressed and hurting. And this concern that the preacher expresses in Ecclesiastes is not something new. The Ecclesiastes does not spend a whole lot talking about God. I think he leaves the other 65 books of the Bible that talk enough about God. He wants to talk about life and what's going on in our lives to make sure that we're aware of what's going on. And he tries to clearly point out there is oppression and injustice in the land. And he's got, we need to be concerned about it because the God of the Bible is a God who is concerned about justice. It is clear throughout Scripture that God has a heart for justice. And in particular, there are four groups or classes of people that God is especially concerned about. Over and over and over and over and over again, he mentions to his people, he commands his people that need to, they need to care for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. In fact, many times God, the writers introduce God as the God of the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. So God wanted to be in, introduced to his people. And so a concern for the poor is important because God knew that these were groups of people that had no power. The officials above that were above them, the king, they had power, but widows, orphans, immigrants, poor had no power in the Old Testament times. And I would say that that hasn't changed at all under the sun. There are groups of people that today have no power to what's going on. Um, In the Old Testament times, that group of people lived at a subsistence level, and they were only days away from famine and starvation. If there was a famine in the land or any type of unrest, they were the first to suffer. And so as we've been looking through the book of Ecclesiastes, we have to admit and have the courage to admit that economic injustice was real during the time of the preacher when he uh, observed what was going on under the sun. And today, in our country, in our city, there is still economic injustice. Now, I love West Michigan. It is a great place to live. I thank God that I've been able to be part of this community, come back to this community after living overseas. And there are so many good things going on in Grand Rapids. And it seems like week after week, Grand Rapids again wins an award or is on the top of a list as far as best place to live, best place to raise a family, best place for new home buyers, uh, best place for end-of-life care, best place to retire. And all of those awards that the city of Grand Rapids is getting in this uh, West Michigan area are fantastic. And most of us in this room benefit because of how the good news of what's going on in Grand Rapids. But how many of you know that Forbes magazine ranked Grand Rapids as one of the worst places to live if you're African American? Grand Rapids was 50 followed only by Milwaukee on a list of the 51 largest urban areas in the city. And for another study show that West Michigan in particular seems to be one of the nation's worst areas to live if you happen to be black or Hispanic. When you compare uh, studies based on income, school test scores, home ownership rates, 
Grand Rapids, Wyoming area was ranked 87th out of 100 areas uh, as one of the worst places to live if you're African-American, and 79th if you happen to be Latino. Another study shows that for every $100 that uh, a white family owns in wealth, black families hold a little over $5. And over a 10-year period since the recession, the net worth of uh, African-American and Hispanic families have decreased, while the net worth of uh, white families have increased. And I've benefited by that increase. Our net worth has increased over the last 10 years. Uh, but the preacher says, if you, uh, in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. I would say that we live in a great community, and there are so many things that we need to be thankful for as far as how God has blessed us, our families, our churches, our community. But we run the risk of living a life that is vain, that is meaningless, if we ignore the reality that there is impression and injustice in the land. And I understand that you might not want to hear or talk about oppression or injustice. Maybe you weren't even aware of the studies that uh, compare what's going on with African-American families and white families. And I recognize these conversations can make us uncomfortable and they're difficult, but the truth is we need to be willing to enter in and have uncomfortable conversations about the reality of what is going on in our life. And I trust and hope that we would have the courage to admit that there is oppression, that there is injustice going on today, just as there was going on thousands of years ago in the, in the days of the, the preacher, the teacher, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And I, hurry, I pray that we would have the courage to admit that there are problems in our community, in our state, in our country, around the world. And then if we're willing to admit that there's problems, then just maybe I believe God can use us to address some of those issues. But if we seek to deny or uh, overlook what's going on, again, I say we do it at our own peril, because at some point in time, we all die. And if we're pursuing, pursuing a life of wealth and accumulation and our uh, pleasure and wisdom, then I say you've wasted your life here on earth. But thankfully, we've got God's Word, we've got the Holy Spirit to make us aware of what's going on. And uh, again, the preacher says, if you see oppression of the poor and perversion of the justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation. I was reading one uh, 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 sermon on this, and they said that sometimes he runs into people who want to quote Jesus, who Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. It's some point of justification why, yeah, there's problems out there, but maybe there really isn't anything that we can do uh, about it. That it's just something that's just a reality that's always going to be there. But I think we need to be reminded of the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter, chapter 16, of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And Jesus said that there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day, But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. And he longed 
to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. Now, Jesus doesn't say what was going on in the rich man's mind of why he would not share anything with the poor man that was outside his gate. Maybe he was thinking, why doesn't this guy just go out and get a job or something? After all, that's what I had to do. And maybe he's always out, he's always there every day asking for food. And if I give him food, it's just going to encourage all the other beggars to come to my door and ask for food. And besides, we're always going to have the poor with us anyway. So what good will it be for me to decide to help this one person with some of the wealth that I have? I don't know what was going through his mind, but we know the end of the story that he did not share his wealth with Lazarus. Interesting, the quote from Jesus when he said, but the poor you will always have with you, is a quote from the Old Testament. And I think most of us I'm, do not know the second part of that uh, passage in the Old Testament that Jesus quoted. Now, Jesus' uh, followers would have known because they were students of the God's Word. But in Deuteronomy, that quote, you will always have the poor with you, comes from Deuteronomy 15, chapter 11. And he says, For there you will never cease to be poor people in the land, and that is why I am commanding you. This is God speaking to his people of Israel. Open your hand willingly to your poor and needy brother in your land. And so the fact that there's always been oppression, there's always been poor, there's always been people who haven't had power is not an excuse for us to not believe that there is something that we ought to do. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our example, spent his life hanging out with people who were different from him. He was a Jewish rabbi, a teacher, but he did not hang around with other Jewish rabbis and teachers. Jesus hung around and spent time with people on the margins, people without power, people who were cast aside. And he touched them, he healed them, he ate with them, and he forgave them. And it is real easy for us to miss or deny the reality of injustice in our community and oppression if we don't spend time with people who are experiencing the oppression. It becomes very easy for us to live lives that are segregated from others. And then if we don't have any contact with people who are different, people who are oppressed, then it becomes very easy for us to scapegoat them and say it's all their fault. The reason that they're oppressed, the reason why they're poor, the reason they're not getting a break is because they're poor or they're lazy or they didn't work hard at school or they didn't take advantage advantage of the things that were given to them that were given to me. It's easy to do that and think it's their fault if we don't have any meaningful contact with people who are being oppressed. And so I'm thankful for Ecclesiastes. I'm thankful for the preacher who at least points out the reality of what's going on. He doesn't give in us the answer to it, but again, he knows there are 65 other books of the Bible where we can go to to find out that God has a heart for people who are on the margins. God has a heart for the widow the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. But one of the saddest trends is going on today is the increased segregation that has taken place in our schools. Studies show that 
now more than ever, our schools are segregated by class and race. And people from one class or one race have little contact with somebody from another class in our schools. Our churches are getting a little better, though 50 years ago, Martin Luther King said Sunday morning at 10 o'clock was the most segregated morning in America. But thankfully, there has been some growth, and there is things going on within churches that we're having conversations with people who are different from us, from other ethnic groups and races. But there still is a long ways to go, and we have to admit it is still way too easy for us to live our life under the sun without any contact, with any involvement with people who are different from us. And if we spend all our time just hanging out with people who are like us, we have no idea of what's going on in the lives of the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. But we cannot live in denial as God's children. And we need to remember that God, our God, is a God of justice. And our God has a heart for those groups of people. And he expects his people to reflect that same heart. And so I think I've got to end with some suggestions for all of us, because we all need to grow in this area. I have not got this thing down, and I can't say that Esperanza's got it down by any means at all. We all suffer from wanting to hang out with people who look like us, talk like us, and think like us. That is true for you. It is true for Esperanza. It is true for the African-American uh, teenage boys that come here on a Wednesday to pray to play. Everybody wants to hang around with people who are like them, who think like them, talk like them, because it's easier. And it isn't going to make us uncomfortable trying to figure out what's really going on and why this particular group of people might be struggling in a time when we are enjoying incredible economic growth here in this community. So I want to end with some suggestions for us this morning to help us in this area. And the first one is we have to be willing to move towards uh, situations of oppression and injustice. We have to move closer to suffering. Uh, You need to make a deliberate, strategic move to get closer. It is not going to happen by accident that you're going to start hanging out with people who are different, people who are oppressed, people who are suffering. You've got to make a decision that you're going to do that and move closer to people who are suffering in our community. Uh, Sean Claiborne, in his book, Irresistible Revolution, tells the story of the summer he spent 10 weeks with Mother Teresa and what an impact that had in his life spending time with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. But he was feeling desperate about when he was going to return to Philadelphia and what he was going to do. So he calls up Mother Teresa and asks her for advice. And she says, Calcuttas are everywhere if only we have eyes to see them. Find your Calcutta. There are Calcuttas everywhere, but we need eyes to see what's going on. And we need to ask God to open our eyes, to give us his eyes, his lens, so we can see what's going on around him, not through what we think is right and wrong, but to see things through what God believes is right and wrong. And so we need to, as we see opportunities to move closer, we have to make the decision to get uncomfortable and move. 
And after we've moved closer, we've got to be willing to stay long enough to listen and learn from the groups of people. Um, It's very easy. uh, One of the problems that we have in our community is that as a church, we're really good. I'm just speaking churches in general, and I've done this. We're really good at going in. We can feed the poor. We can build a house. We can pass out backpacks. uh, We can do a lot of things, but we go in and we leave. And we don't spend enough time to listen and learn about what's going on. Because staying longer and listening and learning becomes uncomfortable. Recently, a group of for First Cove went up to Ferris University to tour through the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia. It was a very uncomfortable experience. But the time we spent walking through that museum, listening to the uh, student share what was going on and how this was used in our country was so important for us to hear. The reality of what happens when you have power and how you use that power to oppress and demean uh, a group of people. Uh, But we had to be willing to do that and we had to listen and learn through that experience. We've got to be willing to listen and learn and hear the stories. Or otherwise we're going to miss the conversation, the story from the 40-year-old Hispanic woman who is a member of your sister congregation who gets stopped for turning right on red during a time when it was prohibited. And she had the right to be stopped for violating the traffic laws. But four additional police officers arrived during that traffic stop. For a 40-year-old woman on her way to work. And when I heard that, I, I said, really? I mean, I have been stopped multiple times. Rolling, Michigan stops through a, a stop line right in front of the Rockford police officer. Dumb idea, right in front of him. I have been, uh, I love to speed, especially way back when I was working. I was getting paid by the hour. I couldn't understand why I was speeding. But I have never been, whenever time I've been stopped, I have never had four additional police cars show up as to support that traffic stop. And when you hear that story, who's going to raise the question exactly, what exactly is going on with it? Is the Hispanic woman who's already afraid of the police going to say, you know what, maybe I need to file a complaint? She's not saying anything. But we can, when we hear the story, we can have the conversation, try to figure out what exactly was going on there and where did something break down in this relationship between the police Uh, officer and the responding officers and this particular woman. And I'm not saying that they were trying to terrorize her by any means. I think they were probably doing their job, but something was going on that to me strikes me as just not quite right. And when you hear stories from people that are suffering and in the immigrant community or the poor, you hear stories of mothers who are working a minimum wage job finding a babysitter for their kid, having to take public transportation to the place they work, and then when they get, get there to work, instead of the eight hours that they were hoping was going to take place, they get sent home after only working a couple hours. And no concern about the babysitter, the bus ride, and everything else as she's trying to just do everything she can to survive a, a minimum wage job. And we might hear stories of people that have worked in some of these minimum wage jobs year after year after year, and they're still getting paid 
minimum wage. And they need food stamps to still provide for their family. And I'm not saying that we're going to have all the answers of how to fix this, but we do have to be willing to admit that there is oppression, injustice in our community. But the only way we're going to know that is if we move closer, stay long enough to listen and learn from what's going on. And then lastly, we've got to be willing to speak out. We've got to be willing to say something. God, it is not optional. God commands us to defend the cause of the poor, to defend the cause of the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And too often we see things that are going on around us, or we hear comments being made, and we keep silent. And we say, well, at least I don't think that way, or at least I don't say things like that. And we don't want to cause trouble by provoking a conversation of maybe what just was said was really hurtful and maybe was blaming a group of people that maybe we don't really know what's exactly going on with that group of people. But we've got to have the courage to speak out. This life is short, and at some point in time we are going to die. And we can't take it with us. We can't take it with us, our wealth, our possessions, our wisdom, and all our accomplishments that we so often strive for. But we can know, and we can know that we've left a life of meaning if we've reflected God's heart. And if we've been willing to speak out and say, you know what, maybe that isn't right. Or maybe we ought to have a conversation from somebody, that group, and just ask them, why are they saying the things that they're saying? Because I don't understand it. But we've got to be willing to say something. I know it's uncomfortable, but things that are important are uncomfortable. We have to talk about them. We have to be able to find a wage a way to engage in that conversation at the family table or the extended family gathering or at the coffee shop or at work or on Facebook. We've got to be willing to speak out as God's children knowing that we are called to reflect his heart to those that are around us. Uh, You guys have been hearing about City Fest. It was announced again today as a part of the City Fest preparation There have been gatherings of church leaders, African-American, Hispanic, and white, to talk about the issues of race here in the Grand Rapids community. Uh, I'm really thankful that I appreciate the heart, realizing if in September 8th and 9th, if we're going to preach a gospel of reconciliation of our relationship with Jesus Christ, if we're going to proclaim that Jesus Christ is... Uh, destroyed the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, then we ought to be able to, to have some very difficult conversations leading up to that regarding what's going on regarding race here in the Grand Rapids community. Um, one of the uh, African-American pastors in that group, the last meeting that I was attended, stood up and basically was frustrated. And she said to the group that she was tired of talking about issues of race. That they have been talking about issues of race and the problems for years. And nothing changes. And she said to us, we need to be willing to talk about it. Those of us in the majority culture, we need to be willing to engage in very difficult and uncomfortable conversations about what is going on in regards to race. And not just accept it as just something that's just part of what's going on. 
When we see oppression, injustice, perversion of justice in our community, we need to be willing to act. Um, We need to be uh, astonished. We need to feel the hurt. We need to get angry and vocal and be a voice of God, speaking that God is a defender of those who are being oppressed, and it's not right. So when we see something being oppression going on, when these things are going on that just don't seem to be right, do something about it. Act. Life is too short to waste it on activities that have no eternal significance. I want to close with the words of the Apostle Paul to his student Timothy. Again, these are some of the last um, words that the Apostle Paul, his first letter, second letter, as he's getting to the end of his life, he passes these words on to his student, Timothy. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and willing to share storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Let's pray. Again, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge um, our need for you. I acknowledge uh, a need for continued to hear your spirit's voice on how to adequately address what's going on. I'm so thankful that you are a God that is sovereign and you are interested and aware of everything that is going on in every person's life. And Father, I recognize that as we move into situations of injustice or oppression, we do not move in alone, but we have the promise of your presence through us in us through your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, give us a heart that hurts, uh, and give us the words to say or the actions to take to address some of the oppression and injustice that takes place around us. I offer this prayer in your son's name. Amen.